0: Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Since 2004, a group of committed people has coordinated an annual week-long 75-mile walk from Sasebo, Sonora, Mexico to Tucson, Arizona to call for an end to migrant deaths along the U.S.-Mexico border and to stand in solidarity with victims of global migration. In May 2020, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, participants were unable to physically unite to remember those who have died crossing. To continue to raise awareness about migrant deaths and to help raise money for local border justice organizations, organizers launched an alternative migrant trail walk experience to bring people together in a virtual environment. Proceeds benefited Borderlinks, the Autumn Anti-Border Collective, Keep Tucson Together, and the No More Deaths Emergency COVID-19 Bond Fund. The Migrant Trail 2020 Alternative Experience included a week of daily reflections, videos, podcasts, and featured speakers. Today on 30 Minutes, our multi part series continues with excerpts from Living Documented with Tucson based organizer and activist Jessica Rodriguez. The presentation was just weeks before the Supreme Court ruled against the Trump administration's efforts to rescind the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, or DACA. Up first, Migrant Trail Organizing Committee member Kat Rodriguez introduces Jessica Rodriguez. Uh, My name is Kat Rodriguez, and tonight I'm really pleased to introduce um, someone who's living in what we would call an othered status in this country. Uh, So Jessica Rodriguez, no relation, is a lead organizer
1: with the Southside Worker Center. She is amazing. The Southside Worker Center supports community of worker leaders building collective power and raising the standards of worker conditions so that workers can take part in dignified work and earn just wages. Throughout her work at the Southside Worker Center, she's helped recover thousands of dollars in wages for workers, stop criminalization, detention and deportation of families, defend the rights of migrant workers and develop migrant led worker owned cooperatives. Um, And tonight she's gonna be sharing some personal experiences with us. So with that, I will turn this over to Jessica Rodriguez. Buenas tardes. Mucho gusto. My name is Jessica Rodriguez. Um, so what I have planned for today, I will talk to you a little bit about me, about 10 minutes about me, and then the next 10 to 15 minutes about the work of the Worker Center. And then the following five to 10 minutes will be connecting the dots. So again, uh, my name is Jessica Rodriguez. I was born in Chihuahua, Chihuahua, Mexico. that that was the state that I was born and I grew up. I migrated to Tucson about 15 years ago. Um, Those are the only two places that I know as home. Um, We migrated um, because of my mom wanted to come closer to her family. Her family at the time was living here in Tucson, but then also considering the conditions uh, for a single mother not being supported and knowing that there was not really a future ahead of us in Chihuahua. So she made the decision to bring us north, right? Like seeking a better future, seeking a better place for us to live. So yeah, we came here to the United States. I was 13 years old, my mom and my two sisters. Um, that's all we had with the, with the, the little things that we had. Um, I got here, I, uh, I arrived to middle school for like six months. And then I had the transition to high school, which was a lot. Like within the first year that I migrated, not only it was a different place where I was living at, a different language, but then also school itself was very different. During high school, I was lucky enough to go to one of the schools that had the highest Hispanic population in the city, which made the transition a little bit easier. And that's so I started learning a lot about the things that were happening here in the U.S. It was not too, too long after we arrived in 2006, that was when a federal bill was introduced that will make it a felony for anybody who will come in contact with an undocumented person. And that's having in mind anybody that you will have in a car with you, anybody who was living with you, even if you will give them food, even if you will give them water. It didn't make it out from the committees, the Senate and the House, but it's something to consider that these things have been happening and they're being molded for a very long time. I was able at a really young age to participate um, in in actions. Um, There was a lot of high school walkouts during that time to against this bill at that time. Um, And I'm highlighting this bill because all those things connect concerning the circumstances that we're seeing even today. So I was able to do some of that and also to highlight that same year in Arizona, Prop 300 was passed and signed into law. If you're not familiar with Prop 200 in Arizona, it makes it uh, that every single person who seeks higher education, adult education, and even childcare, if you're undocumented to pay out of state fees, so they triple sometimes quadruple the expenses of attending college so keep that in mind for somebody who has more than one child somebody who just came to this country somebody who's trying to seek for something better for their children is not attainable right and it, it was it's an infrastructure that has been built on uh, as for a while i graduated from high school in 2009 And I started a community college with one class at a time. It was just one class is what I could afford um, to take, right, as an undocumented student. At the same time, I found a space of other undocumented students where we started searching for scholarships for other undocumented students, where we started, like, gathering resources that we could use um, to continue our higher studies. Little by little, like ended up forming an organization. An organization came out of that, that organization still active. At the same time, while this was happening in 2010, as 70 got signed into law. So it was year after year, time after time, and another attack on migrants. And this one was targeted to people of color, right? Like it was the show me your papers, the color of your skin, will determine if you will continue with your life or you'll be separated from your family. And it was regardless of status. So just to make it very clear, there was a lot of folks who got either jailed, detained, or deported, regardless if they were citizens. And not to say that those who were not ended up in the carceral system or the detention system and further deported and probably have not made it back yet to their families. So that was in 2010. There was a lot of mobilization. Right now is a time that we all celebrating those who have been for almost that decade, for a decade of resistance of S-11070. So it's May of 2020. It's been 10 years. Um, so there's a lot of people who have been trailblazers in the movement who have done a lot of work through decades that allow for like the, the fruits that we're seeing, the results that we're seeing, and the wins that we have as a community. So let's also recognize that that is not just one person or just a single group who brought us here, but it's actually the collective work that has happened throughout the years. And most of the, this work has been led always by women, by queer folks, by people of color, black, immigrant, undocumented, indigenous have that in mind. Those are the people that need to be at the forefront of the movements. They are the ones who are impacted the most. So 2012, and I'm going really fast because it's a lot of information and there's a lot of things that I wanna talk about. Move fast forward um, between 2010 and 2012, 2009, 2012 I would say, um, after the Dream Act failed in the Senate, That was a blow for the undocumented youth who were seeking um, to adjust their status. So there was a lot of mobilization after that, where a lot of undocumented youth were taking the streets and opening the way for what we have right now, which is DACA. And having mind DACA is not a long time solution, it's not a permanent, and it doesn't solve anything of the situations that we have here. Um, when we look at DACA or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, and if you're not familiar with it, I'll break it down really quick. It's, it's a program created under the Obama administration to uh, relieve some youth from deportation by providing them a work permit. Um, and that's it. Each state played a role on how they wanted to treat DACA folks in Arizona they said, "No, you are not allowed to drive. no you're not allowed to attend uh, public universities and public colleges uh, as institutions. All we care about is for you to just get employment and contribute your taxpayer dollars to the state." And that led up to so much more organizing, so much more battles. Um, within the group that I was part of, we were able to obtain institutions at the community college. Um, back in February of 2013. That was one of the greatest victories that we have seen here, left by undoc- directly impacted folks, undocumented youth. And it, it was a great moment, right? And subsequently, after that, we started seeing the numbers of undocumented youth graduating more than ever. I myself graduated in 2014. I was able to afford more classes to qualify for more scholarships and being able to finish school. It took me five years just to finish my two year associates. So I was able to do that. Um, Then in 2014, um, after my graduation, I was trying to figure out what to do. Institution, even though we had it at the community colleges was not available in the universities and the three main universities that we have here in Arizona. So I started looking around what I'm going to do next, what needs to happen. And that's when we started getting folks out to vote. Like I remember knocking on doors, getting people registered to vote, trying to change uh, the representation at the time. And I did that kind of work for almost three years. From that in 2017, I came to this opportunity of applying for the Workers' center job um, as an organizer, the lead organizer there. Um, they found some money that they will be able to pay somebody to help them develop as an organizational plan for at least three years. Um, And I'm going to speak a little bit about that work. And before I move that, I want to highlight that about DACA. Even though DACA right now, it's it's something that is happening, it's something that can be taken away any day. Um, the court decision is coming up really soon. Um, it could happen this Monday, this coming up Monday, or any time in the summer. And think of the things that every single time they have us on the edge on what's going to happen with our lives, right? Like we already have these two work, temporary work, where we don't know what happens if expire. ICE has access to all of this information. They know where we live, they know where we work. And just to have that every single Monday or every single time the Supreme Court makes a piece or uh, opinion on all of these things, like it, it's, it's, it's further increasing this trauma that this country is doing to all of us as migrants. And that's just one layer. We're not talking about the other things and all the identities that we carry. So have this in mind that if the Supreme Court rules against us and aligns with that current administration that we have, that we already know is racist, that we are not, we already know that it's a white supremacist um, and we have seen the true colors that they are, they are doing, they have, is really wearing us down. Like it is, it is wearing us down. Um, and it's just not me. There's like a 680,000 other folks who have DACA that other people who didn't qualify for it. And then 12 million folks that still live in the shadows. And while we say that they live in the shadows, like they are resilient and they are proud and, the, and something that, that this country has worked so hard to vary.
0: You're listening to excerpts from Living Documented, with Tucson-based organizer and activist Jessica Rodriguez from the Migrant Trail 2020 Alternative Experience on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. So in
1: 2017, I joined the SASA Worker Center. You heard the work that we do from Cat, but a little of the programs that we have there. The membership is for the membership. So we have a membership. Almost 100% of them are migrants. Almost 100% of them are Spanish speaker only or indigenous speakers. Um, So they are trying to like make a living. So we had run a day labor center where folks come in and they go out to work on a daily basis. Sometimes those days are great, sometimes they're not. And right now with the COVID-19, they are literally not going out to work. People don't have money, so there's no longer projects that they can get hired for. Most of the construction on any work site, we have seen that it has been halt because it's not safe. So that's been having an impact and literally on the backbone of this economy, which comes down to be migrant workers. And then that, it's their families, their children, they have to bring food to the table, keep the roof over their heads, and it keeps going and going. Um, So definitely right now COVID-19 has amplified much of the struggles that they had already and they're actually spreading out like for the things that we've been calling out for for a long time when it comes to our families. So we have we run the parking lot where workers get dispatched out uh, for jobs. We have like a co-op incubator so we we know that we also have to start building we sell in economies where we support one another and it's not going all to the top, right? Like not one only person is collecting all the power or all the money or the goods. So the owners of ultimately of this business is the workers when you have it as a co-op ecosystem. And the idea is that we can create enough different businesses that we can expand and start connecting all of these things and start building Literally, the world that we want to live in, moving forward, and that way we don't depend so much on an economy that we know that does not center our people. Um, we have a deportation defense program where the workers learn their rights. If they encounter police or they encounter the sheriffs, they, inco- they encounter highway patrol. What to do? What to answer? What not to answer? Who to call? Um, Because Tucson, Arizona is within the hundred mile radius that they call from the border. So we have border patrol patrolling our streets. And literally they're a call away from any local law enforcement. And even though we've been able to pass some city resolutions or like taken away some money from the county, that collaboration is still happening because it's so ingrained in this Agencies to just detain and deport our people. Um, so we have seen that happening all the time. They still happening in the middle of the pandemic. We know as a fact that in the detention centers, the numbers of people who are testing COVID uh, positive for COVID nineteen continue to increase. So it's a health hazard even to come in into the detention centers or to come in contact with any of these agents, regardless if it's local law enforcement or immigration enforcement. So we do some of that. We also have an accompaniment program. And this was work that happened also before I came into the worker center. We were able to get some workers out of the detention center. We were able to prove and close their cases. Um, and they got released back to us by paying bail money but under Jeff Session and the Department of Justice, they reversed some of the procedures that, or the powers that the uh, with, that judges had, which meant all of those cases that had prosecutorial discussion from the judges were reopened. So now we have dozens of workers whose cases are open right now. And this is just a small group of people compared to the, to the fact that there was many people whose cases happened between 2010 and 2015, 2016, and they now got reopened. And something that I wanna highlight is we were able to trace them down because the workers, is they stay here. They committed themselves to be part of one space and we were able to follow up with them. But there's many people out there who like are not part of a space and probably they have moved in the last five years at least once. So we know that they are probably on the system and they're being flagged as people that need to be deported because they didn't show up to their court, but nobody knows which cases actually got opened during that time. Um, we have another program, which is the wage theft, which we were we have been able to recover thousands of dollars. Um, as, as you can imagine, we work with a very vulnerable uh, population where language is a barrier sometimes cultural barriers and also we have people who come through who are just trying to take advantage of workers who are looking for cheap labor or sometimes it's not even cheap they're just trying to rip them um, from the money that they deserve for working through that program we've been able to recover so much money Um, Some of that just requires a phone call, and as soon as the person who hired the workers hears somebody on the other line saying something in English, they come back around and turn in the money. Or like sometimes they just need to see a formal letter addressing them where we know who they are, where they live, where they work, their license, whatever we had access to, and they pay the money. We have had very few cases where it's very difficult to collect the information. I and mean, if no information was collected from the employer, most likely um, that we haven't been able to recover some of those wages. But like, just have in mind that like people are out there trying to just take advantage of people, just trying to work and bring some money, some cash into their homes to pay for food, to pay for the roof over their heads. Uh, we also have some English classes. They are not your classic English classes. They are classes where people can learn like how to, what are the name of the tools in English, the tools that they use for gardening, the tools that they use for landscaping, or like to build a wall like for landscaping, whatever it is. If they get hurt, if they go to the grocery store, if if they end up going to the hospital, what they need to say and how they, they should say it so people understand what's happening, right? Um, I don't know if everybody is bilingual here, but if you're not, like when you don't speak the other language and you don't understand it, it's really hard. So at least we try to give some tools to the workers where they can defend themselves and advocate themselves until somebody else can show up, if possible, um, to do that connection or be the bridge of interpretation between the worker and whoever the other person is. Uh, We also do Know Your Rights trainings. Um, And these are not your rights uh, for when it comes down to immigration, because we know that immigration, like it's all around us. And we know that there are risks at any place that they go to. And then also um, for labor. So the workers understand that it is their right to get paid for the the hours that they worked. They should get paid at least the minimum wage. That if they work over 48 hours, they have to get paid over time if somebody promised something to them that the person has to do it. Um, That is not their mistake and make it very clear that it's never their mistake um, for accepting a job and the person not not wanting to pay is never their mistake. So yeah, so we have some of that. Also at the worker center, um, we are located, we are on the edge of two cities, like city of South Tucson and also the city, but then also we're very close to the highway. And sometimes we see um, border patrol, like just crossing the street because there's a gas station, uh, a feral or local gas station where like only cars that work for the government get their gas. So there's a lot of presence on the corners where we operate. And throughout the years, um, we have seen either the local police, either the highway patrol pull people over, and then just in front of us, a stripped, family members um, and take them into custody. Um, about a year ago, I was getting out of work and I'm not gonna lie to you, like Highway Patrol decided to call Border Patrol. The day before that, like I made a presentation and told them another experience, is like knock on wood, it doesn't happen again. And then the next day it happened. So Highway Patrol decided to call Border Patrol and for the very first time, I think we got to see and also to record this collaboration that exists between local enforcement and or traffic enforcement as highway patrol is and border patrol taking into custody a child without verifying their status even though we have a public notary with the document signed even though we have the family members there that border patrol is still decided to take in that family and the child included. And this happened at the time where like the facilities for Border Patrol were overcrowded. The children were sleeping next to the toilet. Same thing for the mothers and same thing for the dads. Um, There was no safety. There was nothing healthy about it. The kid was traumatized. Um, She later got bullied after being released at school because she was taken into custody. And there's so many layers that come in and the social impact that it has. And now imagine like it was just a child. A 12-year-old probably doesn't understand what's happening. This literally marked this family for their entire life. Lucky enough, they were only carrying one child. The other two children decided to ride with the auntie. They were not in the same circumstances as the other daughter. But I have this in mind, this happens every single day regardless of where you live we're seeing more and more is that these things are happening too fast even to react. It's understanding that as local departments have a direct collaboration with immigration officials, there's also technology behind it and that technology is being used as we don't have idea. So for example when we're calling that Amazon because of the, the conditions that they have workers, not only during COVID, but then also like before that. Also, Amazon plays a key role when it comes to the detention of children. They have AWS, I think it's called that, Amazon Web Systems, where they collect all the data. Imagine just the amount of data that they can have access to. And then they have somebody like volunteer who's another Play key role here, who facilitates connecting the dots, and then ICE or the border patrol agents can just carry the information on their phone, and it gives them a map or where each person is located at, who is undocumented. As they can use it uh, for undocumented people, they they are using it for other folks. And something that came out, out on the news today, um, but they're now using drones that they use at the border, they're using them right now in Minneapolis to record and like just to patrol the area of the protesters. Um, so those drones like can easily be used for, uh, to attack people and to instigate other stuff. And this is probably, some of you care about this enough, but like it's desert money. And it's that your money on use and it's being used literally to patrol people who are just like using their first right amendment. Like it's their freedom of speech. And it's also understanding that what happens to black people, it's a brand issue as well. Immigration is like something that we all should like care about, but then also what we're seeing on how police brutality is killing black people at a higher rates than other races it's also something that we need to care about and also understanding the tactics that police use to instigate and cause problems within the movements like we're living a pandemic right now and we should like really move away about caring about the physical things and start worrying about how we're going to start creating a different world and support the people who are the most directly impacted I cannot express this enough because as we're seeing this in Minneapolis, it has happened in St. Louis and Ferguson, we saw in Florida, we saw in so many other cities and so many other states um, where you have your own local fight to fight and you have to do it. Um, Some of us have a very privileged, we're sitting in a very privileged areas where we're not directly impacted, not even from a different angle, just because we don't have those proximities to those issues, but doesn't mean that we should not be doing the work to really dismantle like this whole thing that is happening and is targeting black and brown, indigenous, queer folks, LGBTQ, I mean, the list can go on. And understanding that the current situation, it's even amplified uh, with the administration of Trump. Um, And it's understanding that we have to align ourselves and do the work with those who are the most impacted. Even though if you don't live in the border area, connect those issues to the people who live in your city, in your town, in any state, because they are not very different. And there's always somebody who is literally paying the highest and sometimes that means their life. And if we are not outreach right now, if we are not willing to take action, we are not really paying attention.
0: You've been listening to excerpts from Living Documented with Tucson-based organizer and activist Jessica Rodriguez from the Migrant Trail 2020 Alternative Experience on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. More information is available at azmigranttrail.com. This is part six of a multi-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. You can find this and all recent episodes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org.